Hey everyone, I'm Trish the Dish and welcome back to the Gen X Voice Podcast where I use my voice to help others share their voice from different backgrounds, experiences, and generations. Let's destroy ageism and find value in people no matter how old they are. Folks, I am so excited to have Jason Perry on this episode. He is the lead male vocals you hear in the intro slash outro music of the podcast and is also the one who wrote most of the songs of our band and music, to be honest, Resident Genius. We'll explore Jason's story of adoption from Iran in the 1970s, moving to a tiny suburb in northern Illinois after living in southern California, and hearing what kept him sane through some rough times in his life. Spoiler alert, it's music. So what have you missed in the uh, Gen X Voice Facebook group, you ask? Well, how about passionate discussions about stickers, for one? Do you remember sticker books from the 1980s, or were you a collector? There was even mention of garbage pail kids, you guys. I know you are dying to hear more about that. So get out your phones if you haven't done so already, and search Gen X Voice in Facebook and like the page so I can pass you an invite into our special Gen X Voice group. Guys, it is so great to hear what you all think about the podcast and the random questions that we all like jump in and talk uh, and answer and and have fun sharing with each other. And um, we want you, if you haven't been a part of it yet, we want you to be a part of it. So be sure to check uh, to, to check that out. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to my website to find all my social media. Um, we have a lot of fun on Instagram as well. And also, you'll find links to music and other things that are referred to in this episode. And all the episodes have that, just so you know. Um, Jason and I talk a lot about the music that inspired our guitar playing in our youth. And I wanted to make sure to link the music to the show notes that, um, just in case you guys have never heard or are interested in hearing um, some of the bands that we talked about. And... um, also, I wanted to give some love to our fave um, Springfield local record store um, owned by one of Gen X Voices guests a few months back, Dumb Records. If you're in the Springfield, Illinois area, the store is now open and the arcade is opening again soon. Woot! If you're not in the Springfield area, don't worry. You can still buy your fave CDs or vinyls at dumbrecords.com. I will also post that um, link in the show notes as well. Um, Jason and I just love Brian, love his record store, love what he's done for the music scene. Um, I just think it's really cool that, you know, Brian gave some love to Jason and, and our band in his episode. And then, you know, Jason um, kind of fanboyed over Brian and all the great stuff he's done for the local music scene in his episodes. So, um, so yeah, so support his record store. It's pretty awesome. Also, I wanted to invite you all to follow Gen X Voice and Spotify and check out some of my playlists. So like if you liked last week's episode about raving in the 90s with my friend Jilly Mac, you may like the playlist I, I made called, we used to call it Electronica. I put some old gems in there that we used to dance to. Oh, and I'm also going to start a playlist soon with bands from the 80s that my guests have stated they like 
during the rapid fire questions section of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. I will definitely let you know when that is ready to download and add to your library. In the meantime, um, our guest's fave beverage is a 32-ouncer from Circle K, a staple in all our band practices back in the day. So get yourself a soda if that's your thing and enjoy the show. Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. It's cold, so we've been inside most of the day, but you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, you're so you're in Springfield, Illinois in the dead of winter, and uh, you said it's it's terrible outside. So is it like really cold and like mushy with snow? So it's kind mush- of Yes, that and they've kind of uh it's kind of a, a bit of a pall cast over the Capitol because they are boarding up the lower windows of the Capitol. I drove by today. I don't know if you heard that they are, you know, because there's been all these threats at every state Capitol. Right. The so all, all the all the um, all the troops or, or National Guard or military are in every single place. But so th- they boarded up. And this is is this at the uh, at the. The new cap, new. Okay, so for our listeners, like there's the old state <laughs> capital where Lincoln himself um, kind of presided and or or like ruled the land, and then uh, there's a newer, prettier state capital where, for instance, Barack Obama um, worked and stuff like that before he was president. So is it at yes. the the newer so one? At, okay, so it's at the newer one. Yeah, and they boarded Yeah, it is. So they boarded it all up. And I imagine, I suspect they're doing this all over the nation because, you know, it's crazy times. Yeah. And so you know? we're, re- we're recording this on January 16th. So four days before the inauguration of, um, of Joe Biden mm-hmm. and after the, takedown of the um the capital in dc um yeah how crazy was that to watch that was really unsettling on a lot of levels um i don't know i think it's something that's probably been building for quite a while and it just erupted i think that you know some of these some of these issues and i don't know we don't have to get too deep into this but you know some of these issues I think were, they've been brewing for a long time, long before Donald Trump ever came on. I mean, now right. he just, threw, now he just threw gasoline on the fire, but um, I think a lot of it's been simmering for quite a while and now it's just blowing wide the fuck open. But yeah, I, I, it was like it's funny because like you, so we are, um, we're former bandmates from Resident Genius, and um, our band in the two, early 2000s was really politically driven, and especially politi- politically driven by um, the politics of post-9-11, which I talked about with my guest before you, um, in, in, um, that, you know, cause that's, I was living in New York city during that time. And we, uh, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of awareness, I guess you could say about the treatment of, 
um, people of color that were maybe, you know, from Arabic descent or um, just understanding the sort of whitewashing of history and, um, and, and had lots of conversations about the politics of those days. So you're right. Like, so for me, I wasn't really surprised as much as, um, I, I want to call it shock because I was watching it live unfold and, um, and it was just sort of surreal. Like I kind of always felt like this was something that could happen, but then to actually see it unfold was, man, it was kind of, I was kind of in shock. Would you say that's kind of how you felt too? I did. I did feel that way. Um, so Denise, my wife and I, uh, watched this unfold, uh, as did our two youngest children. And, um, so not only are we kind of watching this, you know, unsettling, um, chain of events unfold before us, but at, in real time, we're also after having to kind of explain it and educate our 11 year old and seven year old at the same time. That's no, that's no easy task because kids at those ages, you know, they've got, you know, you think they're going to ask one question and it's followed by about, you know, a hundred follow-up questions and you got, you got answers. And sometimes you just don't have answers. And sometimes you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on in this country anymore. You know, like you just kind of throw up your hands because you don't know everything, you know, everything the last four years has been a dumpster fire. Everything. Right. You know? So, I mean, I think that's really fascinating that you had your younger children sitting there with you watching this um, because it's kind of a, we're, we're talking about a very traumatic thing to happen. So, I mean, what, I guess, to 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 not pussyfoot around. Why would you have your kids watch that? And and what made you decide to do that? I think it is probably a result of maybe my upbringing. Um, I was I was brought up in a I th- I don't know if you know this. I think you do. I was brought up in a really ultra conservative household in Southern California. Oh, and wait before you go any further, can mm-hmm. you tell the listeners? What year you were born and what generation you identify with? Okay, so I was born in 1973 in Tehran, Iran. And I was adopted by American parents who were working overseas uh, in the early 70s. Uh, this, this is before the revolution uh, when everything went crazy. Um, it was kind of a time of relative peace, at least in Tehran. And uh, so they adopted me from an orphanage. And then we came back to the States. Uh, I was probably three. I think my younger sister, my younger sister was also born um, in Tehran. She was not adopted, but she was born while we were there. And then we moved to Southern California outside of Los Angeles. Um, we lived there for a number of years, moved to the Midwest. Uh, my dad got a job transfer with the Defense Department. We moved to the Midwest and I don't know, I was probably 11 or 12. And it was a big culture shock. Uh, but my dad was from the Midwest and he wanted to get out of California because he did not like the politics out there. <laughs> right. If you're, he was conservative. <laughs> no, How old were you when you moved to, uh, and, and specifically this was um, DeKalb County up by the suburbs of Chicago, right? 
Well, no, you're close. It was uh, McHenry County, which is, uh, I believe, just a couple counties away. It's it's all the same. It's it's uh, at the time it was all conservative, uh, rural kind of farmlands, and I don't mean that in a I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it was from living in this right outside of Los Angeles where it, you know, it really was a veritable melting pot um, to coming to small town, Nowheresville, Illinois, where I was literally the only dark complected person for, I know in our school, um, that was a wake up call. There's no black people, definitely no Arab, Arab born people. Um, no Mexicans, no, no, no Latinx people, nothing. It was all white. It was very kind of Hank Williams Jr., you know. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, only laughing at the reference. Um, like, so, so, so did you feel isolated or oh, what? Oh, fuck yeah. You know, I, you just, uh, you know, I had never been called, um, a racial slur or anything like that until I moved to, uh, we lived in Spring Grove, Illinois, which at the time was like, seriously, like population 500. And, um, our bandmate, Chris, um, he was also living in that small town. And, uh, Chris was one of the few people that actually approached me <laughs> when I got to the school, you know, cause I didn't know oh. anything. Wow. I, I don't think I realized that. And, and oh, yeah, he, was yeah, our, yeah. he was our bass player in, in, uh, in resident <clears throat> genius. Yeah. Uh, so, so here I'm this, re- I'm small now, but I was really scrawny in, I don't know, seventh grade, I guess, or whatever, whatever grade that is. I'm outside on this playground or whatever outside of school. Nobody's talking to me. All of a sudden this big guy comes lumbering towards me <laughs> <laughs> And it's Chris. He's like, hey, are you the new kid? You know, I feel like, like he still he sounded like that in seventh grade too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it's great. You know, we've been friends ever since. We've been through thick and thin ever since, and we lead two totally different lives now. But uh, there's, I think, I think the reason we're probably still friends more than anything is just because he's kind of the last connection I have to that to that area of my life. Aside from my, aside from my two sisters, um, Chris is really the only connection I have to that era, but, oh yeah, it was awful. I I hated living up there. I I hated it, hated it, hated it. I mean, how, how did you get through like such, cause I don't know about you, but, but, um, as a young person that was bullied for very different, mine was a socioeconomic reason, and it didn't uh, help that my mom was like a meth head at one point. Um, I, don't, uh, I, don't think I've ever heard, I don't think I've ever heard this. So, oh, okay. Give me well, give me an example of how you were how you were bullied if you're comfortable sharing. Okay, uh, well, I was um, barked at. I was chased. I was. Oh, wow. um, yeah, there there was uh, just incessant amount of teasing and um yeah it was and and it was Jason as you know and my listeners know I lived all over the country mm-hmm. so it wasn't a regional thing it was like anytime I moved into a new school 
um, I, I guess I had victim written all over me <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, maybe for like the first week or two, I was the, you know, the fresh, fresh new thing and sure. people liked me, but then, um, I, I don't know, maybe once they realized I couldn't afford the rad Reebok high tops, or I was wearing Kmart special clothes and, uh-huh. um, and a lot of hand-me-downs and Goodwill and, um, thrift, which thrifting is rad now, but when I was a kid, it was the you most horrifying. Yeah. You get made fun of back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, but so like for me, that was really, it, it got kind of harder and harder and harder. Um, so I, I know how I got through that. Um, how did you get through that? So I kind of isolated in my room to an extent. Um, I did have a couple friends, Chris, you know, that we just spoke about. And um, there's this kid named Brad Fisher. And uh, he had given me a cassette tape, um, like a mixtape. And on one side, so one side of, the, of it was, um, what did he have on there? I think it was like Ride the Lightning by Metallica. And on the other <laughs> side... Wow. <laughs> yeah. And on the other side was uh oh, was a Suffer by Bad Religion, maybe. It was Bad Religion. I, I wanna say I'd never wow. heard it before. What I'd never an heard it. Yeah. Mix of of genres to have on a freaking mixtape. Yeah, and I had never heard either band before. I'd never even heard the names of either band before. My my musical my um, introduction to music was whatever my older sister, Michelle, was listening to at the time. I really didn't give a shit about music at all. Uh, but my, I, I mean, I appreciated it. And, but my, my exposure to any music, any popular music, was through my older sister, Michelle, who's about, uh, I think she's like five, five and a half years older than me. And she had so many seven inches. And frankly, I, our father was really strict. I don't know how the hell she got him into the house. I mean, because she had stuff like The Clash. She had, uh, you know, Prince, uh, Madonna, Culture Club. We were talking about Culture Club the other day. Yeah. Um, Culture Club, you know, and I just, I just absorbed it all. And I still like a lot of that stuff. Right. So you're like, you're a lot like me where you, you love, um, and, oh, and you're, so you don't identify with Gen X or. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. A little hesitant there. That's because you're like one of those people that, um, doesn't necessarily like to be pigeonholed. Am I right? You know, I, I, I really think it depends what it is. Um, uh... so- well, I'll, I'll ride this train and see if, if you're, you want to be a passenger on it. But I've, I've, said, <laughs> I've said a lot on this podcast how, um, because it, music keeps coming up whenever we, Gen Xers get together and talk. And uh-huh. I, I, we always talk, say, it seems like, that our generation is such an eclectic listener-based generation. So a lot like you, Jason, I was listening to the top 40 pop music, loved culture club, obsessed with Madonna, Cindy Lauper, Michael Jackson, Prince, you know, all the classic hundred percent eighties. Awesome. But I also love the beastie boys and LL cool J and anything that was like hip hop related. 
And, um, but then I also got pretty much into like, you know, the hair band, like Metallica's one was mind blowing and, you know, loved, um, and I love the clash and Depeche Mode and the Cure and the Smiths. And so, so yeah, so, so the music was really where your, your sanctuary was, huh? So the, yeah. And so the one good thing, you know, because you, I, you know, you come out to the Midwest and this small farm town and a lot of these kids, a lot of them listen to country music. You know, there are some who listen to like Motley Crue and stuff, but a lot of them listen to Hank Williams Jr. If you went to go like drink on some abandoned farm road or something, or in the, the backfield of someone's farm, someone's blaring country music. And it was like shit like Hank Williams Jr. But what that music did is the Hank Williams Jr. and stuff like that, that I had drilled in my head after I started doing a little investigating on my own, that led me back to some of his influences. And so then I just kept going back and back and back. It's like, oh, okay, so his dad was a, was a pioneering singer. Oh, so he's part of the Grand Ole Opry, and he got kicked out of the Grand Ole Opry, you know, Hank Williams Sr. And you start learning all this history, and you start finding all these other songs. And so then all of a sudden, I'm going back to, like, the Mississippi Sheiks, which was like this Delta blues band of brothers in the 1930s. And I have that introduction to shitty country music to thank for that because I never would have discovered the cool stuff had it not been for, you know, the unlikely source of Hank Williams Jr., if you can believe it. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's so neat that if, if people are willing to fall down the rabbit holes of like where that's one thing I'm a little concerned about with music today is um, I, I worry that some of the younger generations are are sort of because uh, they're exposed to so much more music than you and I ever were, and there's not a lot of uh, history or looking or uh, you know um, desire to peel back the layers of like you know bands that were inspired. Like okay, so you like Guns and Roses, but who inspired Guns and Roses? And the whole idea of the ballad and going way back and you're one of the few people I know that I can talk like this with, man, you could find a connection to Woody Guthrie to Guns N' Roses, who was a folk singer because of the style of storytelling in a song like November Rain. I mean, you can't get much more ballad, epic ballads, storytelling. (laughs) So, so I have a, well, you know, I've, so uh, my older, I have two older sons. Uh, Curtis is 23 and Ethan is 19. And they both share their music with me, which is a total eye opener because I'll bring up something that they shared with me a year or two ago and they've already moved on. They're like, oh, that's old. And that, that, that struck me as odd. Is like, that was their response. Not that it was or wasn't good anymore. It's like the value judgment they've made on it is that's old. So I'm not giving that my time. I'm looking forward. I'm moving forward. And so they keep sharing this stuff with me, like artists like Rod Wave or T Grizzly or something, which, which both are really, really good. And it's not something I would obviously seek out myself. Um, they turned me on to it. I'm like, 
these guys are really good, but I wouldn't have found it on my own. But now they've already moved on. Well, I'm absorbing this T Grizzly rapper. They've already moved on to something else because T Grizzly is now old or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and, and here's, here's another sort of difference uh, that I'm kind of thinking about too, is that, man, I don't know about you, but when I was younger and even today, when I discover a new band, maybe actually, maybe not as much today because of time, but uh, definitely when I do have amount of time, like I actually, I was just thinking about this on, on a walk the other day that like, I, I haven't really pill, uh, looked for new music um, in the past, um, I don't know, six months because I found so much good music um, the months prior to that. So I kind of want to simmer in it. I want to, I want to really um, get so connected to where my heart gets really excited when the, when that track starts playing in my headphones or, um, you know, and, and when, when I was younger, it was like, I would play the hell out of a tape to the point where, you know, it would come to the, the ribbon shredding moments that all <laughs> the step fighter folks know, and you try to mend it with a piece of tape and all the things. Yes. yes. You know, so, right? <laughs> so I, um, you know, I, I don't really seek out music like I used to new music. I did for a brief, maybe a two year period. I kind of fell into that, uh, that whole pitchfork mentality, you know, and, um, uh, after a while, I was just like, you know what, the stuff that they're, that they're shoving down everyone's throats, you know, uh, yeah, some of it's good, but you know, there's so much shit you have to wade through. I'm like, why are, I'm trying to figure out like, how does this resonate with somebody? And, you know, if it doesn't resonate with me, I just realized that, you know, that's my problem. It's not the band's problem. That's my problem. And, so I don't like to badmouth other bands. And um, you know who told me that was Steve Albini. He had mentioned that in an interview somewhere. And then I asked him about it when we recorded with him. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, he's like, I didn't want to be one of those people that, you know, weighs in on a band and whether they're good enough or not. He said, if a band doesn't resonate with me, that's my problem, not the band's problem. And I'm like, that's that makes sense. And I never really thought... I never really thought of it that way before. And I was like, that actually makes obvious sense. I'm surprised. I wonder why I'm embarrassed that I didn't look at it from that point of view earlier on. But yeah, I think, I think I'm going to start using that from now on because um, whenever, you know, you have a conversation with someone about music and they just cannot understand why you don't like it. Like, what do you mean you don't like Ed Sheeran or um, Michael Buble? And it's like, I don't know how to explain why some music doesn't capture my soul, but yeah. I guess that's what it is, is it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to, um, what I want to listen to, but so how did you, how did you end up picking up the guitar? So I had begged my mom for one. I knew damn well my father wasn't going to be on board. Um, he was, he was just really strict. I mean, he, he, you know, he was an asshole most of the time, if I'm being honest, you know, he really was. And, um, uh, but I, I basically browbeat my mother and finally she got me one and I 
didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> right. There wasn't YouTube that you could just watch someone. There wasn't the internet where you could download like tablature. No. no. So I had this guy who, um, he lived in our little subdivision and he played and he was really good. And he, he played metal, like, you know, a slayer type stuff. I'm like, can you just show me a couple of basics? And uh, so he showed me a couple of basics and I don't know, I, I maybe went to him twice and I think he just didn't have time for me, you know, cause he was like, Oh my God, this guy sucks. <laughs> so how how did, old were you when you got that guitar? Uh, 13, maybe 12. I think, I think I was like 13 and you know, I, to this day, I've never taken a lesson, which, um, you know, if I had, my playing should be way further along than it is. And I think I just kind of stopped at, uh, the Ramones type stuff. I'm like, you know, cause the other stuff I'm like, there's no way I'm going to learn how to play a Metallica song or something like that. I, I just, I, even if I wanted to, and there was a time when I did want to, and I'm like, I'm never going to be able to figure that out. And I'm like, but the Ramones, you can figure that stuff out. That's, that's within reach. That's in the, that's in the ballpark, you know? And so I started listening to that kind of stuff and I just played along by ear. And then I'd figure stuff out that I hear on the radio or if I had one of my older sister's cassettes, I'm literally playing like five second snippets and pressing pause on the cassette player and trying to noodle around, find the place on the guitar where I think they're playing and just figure it out that way. And I still do that to that to this day. I cannot read music. The only difference is I'm watching YouTube videos instead of pressing pause on a cassette player. <laughs> yeah. It's, yes. it's the same. It's it's the same process. It's the same approach. And a hundred percent, because I've done exactly both um, approaches that you're talking about. Be Although I did have a guitar class. I, I took a classical guitar class. I don't know if I ever told you this. When uh -huh. I was in my undergrad um, in, in Flagstaff at NAU and um, and kind of learned how to do that whole like um, finger picking thing yeah. and, um, you know, really liked classical guitar and stuff. But at the end of the day, I was just sitting in my room listening to Mazzy Star and the Cranberries and just pausing, <laughs> <laughs> driving my roommate to that. <laughs> so you know what the first, the very first song I finally figured out how to play. Stairway to guitar. heaven. No, was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was it was Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain by Willie Nelson, and I still love the song. Really? But yeah, that was the. No, I can't do. You know, I can't do his. You know, guitar solo because you know Willie Nelson is like an amazing guitar player, just amazing. And um, but I I figured out the chords, and I'm like, and his little, you know this little on and off that he does with like his, I think it's his index finger. So he's got a really unorthodox way of playing. And, um, that was the first song that I could play competently. Wow. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I had, uh, so I had a, um, I had a Led Zeppelin music book and mm -hmm. I had, cause it showed tablature. So I, I, I kind of learned by tablature where it was like, put your right finger on this string. You know what I mean? And, I tried to do that. I couldn't yeah. figure, I couldn't figure uh, it out. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I, I could do that. So um, before I was, you know, doing the pause button and stuff, I actually really was trying to, to learn through these mu music books. 
But um, I was really big into the Eagles in high school when I got my guitar at 18. And so actually it was um, Tequila Sunrise. <laughs> That's my first song. <laughs> what Jeez. a weird song to be like, oh, I can play this. Um, and, and then I had a friend in college that was like, I'll show you the first few chords of, of Stairway. And so I always laugh at that Wayne's World part where they're like, you can't play Stairway because it's just like a little because <laughs> we all, I feel like, well, not all of us, obviously, because not you, but uh, I feel like so many of us like, yeah, we're going to learn how to play Stairway, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember people joking about that. Like when I went into an actual guitar you know, in a music store for the very first time with like a buddy of mine. And um, I remember hearing people then joking about that, like, don't play Stairway to Heaven, don't play Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. And I still don't know, <laughs> I still don't know how to play either one of those songs. I have no idea how to play either one of those songs. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So uh, yeah. that makes you so much more punk rock than me. And so, I don't know. <laughs> so then when did you, um, when did you start writing your own music? Um, I think I probably wrote my first song uh, when I was 15. I was probably about, I was probably about 15. Now I'm not saying it was any good. I'm just saying I wrote, the, I wrote the first song when I was 15 and um, I think it was a two chord, two chord song. And yeah, you know, you, you when you do that, you, you kind of quickly realize your, your own limitations, which is why to this day, I try to surround myself with, musicians who are better than me any any band okay so that our current band the seething coast i'm easily the least competent musician and I, I, i'm okay with that i i am okay with that because uh sam sam west who you know he is yeah. a much he is a much better guitar player than i am much better he knows his way around guitar drums bass and uh same with anthony valero who's our bass player like these guys know what they're doing and even you know even prior band members like Damon Soper and Jay Vanslow you know those are the people you I have chosen to like surround myself with because you can learn from them and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there were times where I was frustrated with me like oh my god Jason does not know what he's doing you know but but this is so ironic to hear you say this because I was the shittiest player in our band and, uh, and, and we, uh, resident genius was, um, just a really, I mean, none of us were really super good. I think Ben was a pretty good drummer and I think Chris was good at bass for what he did, but Jason, you were by far the best one in the band. Well, just- so resident genius, that was, yeah. I mean, so your so resident genius was kind of, and I don't know, you may have a differing opinion. It was pretty ramshackle. Like we, we were, we were, we were, we, we managed to stay on the tracks, but sometimes you didn't know when that train was going to veer off the tracks. And that's part of, that's part of what was exciting about it to me. Right. Is that right. You, you didn't know if it was going to turn out to be a great song 
or a great show or whether it was just going to be an embarrassing catastrophe. And sometimes we had that. Sometimes we had that in a live setting. You, you know that. I mean, oh, yeah. um, like our first show at the gay, at the gay bar where I completely forgot every lyric and every <laughs> chord to those are people who died. Um, <laughs> it was so terrible. I was so nervous, but, um, but before we, we, before we peel back too many of those layers, um, you know, I'd like to kind of get back to just sort of that journey to, um, you know, how, how it ended up that you started, um, being in bands and things like that. So when I was still living in Northern Illinois, um, all the people that wanted, that were forming bands, they all wanted to be like, um, uh, I don't know. They they all wanted to be like in like cam bands, like Grateful Dead type stuff. And I had zero interest in that. One, I don't think I have the attention span for that kind of stuff. Like long guitar solos and some of those Grateful Dead songs, you know, they are fucking long and they're boring as shit. A lot of them. I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm a huge deadhead. So I just have to laugh. Because, hey, listen, listen, that music doesn't resonate with you. <laughs> <laughs> it does not resonate with me. And I've been, hey, you know what though? I did go to a Grateful Dead show. I don't want to digress too much, but I did go to a Grateful Dead show and I was just there to people watch and it was, it was an experience, but. Yeah, it's um, its I, own world, isn't it? It's, it's, it's its own world and it was eye opening, but um, I didn't want to do that. Um, And it was either that, it was either, hey, you know, let's let's have a jam band me and this other guy and i'm like oh god no that doesn't sound appealing at all and then but the only other option was to play metal and i'm like i don't want to do that either one i'm not capable of doing that and so me and this other guy uh dennis we kind of started like a two-piece kind of ramshackle punk rock band and i didn't go anywhere we wrote a few things but didn't really go anywhere and then when i moved to springfield i think yeah resident genius was the well, no, we, so there's a band, we had a band called the Noncommittals with the Sky Joe and yep, Chris and that, I. That's when I first met you. Um, yeah. I was dating your drummer at the time um, when yeah. I first was there. And so you moved to Springfield as um, in your 20s? Yes. And why did you move to Springfield rather than somewhere like Chicago or Bloomington or or, or so I didn't have any money at the time. And my dad said, hey, That's why dad, I moved to Springfield. <laughs> yeah. hey. So my dad grew up around here and he's, and my parents had long since divorced. And he said, Hey, I'm going to move down by Springfield, you know, cause he grew up around here uh, about 30 miles outside of Springfield. He's like, do you want to come with? I'm like, yeah, sure. This, I don't have anything going on up here. So I came down to Springfield, which was a little bit slower pace of life, I guess, from living in the suburbs. Cause on the weekends where I lived before, it was almost halfway between, um, Chicago or Milwaukee. So there's always something to go do. 
And you come oh, to Springfield. Wow. Yeah. So you went, just to backtrack a little, so you went from hanging out in Hank Williams country, um, you know, hanging out in the cornfields to actually more of um, a bigger city suburban area. And so you were able to, were you able to go to shows or do stuff like that? No, in those- no, no, no. no. So, so where we live in this small Nowheresville town, that's what I'm saying. That was halfway between Chicago and St. Louis. So I would, I would, as I got older, you know, get a ride down to Chicago or up to Milwaukee to go see a show. And then all of a sudden your friends start moving away because they start going to college and start getting jobs and you never see them. So my dad's like, hey, you want to come down here with me? I'm like, eh, fine, whatever. And I thought I'd be down here for like six months or a year, maybe, you know, take a couple courses at the college. And how many and years has it been now? I've been here like too fucking long, like 25 years. I just say that in just like this town has been, it's been good for me. A lot of people shit on Springfield, but um, I'm kind of a believer that every place is kind of what you make it. And Springfield, um, it does have a lot to offer. It, it's it's getting better. It's getting better. Um, yeah. Well, gosh. And if if anyone listened to the episode uh, "Vinyls DIY in All Ages" shows um, with uh, Brian Galecki, the owner of Dumb Records, um, that is basically a love letter to Springfield and the whole counterculture scene that that you and I were were heavily involved in. Um, you know, and in sort of making sure that it maintained for, um, for a, a, a little bit past its prime and into its new, its new birth where, where it's, it's kind of coming off the crest of that into something even new now. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. It's, um, um, there's, there's so much art happening, so much art happening right now. I mean, you know, coronavirus and stuff aside, you know, it's like, there is a lively scene. There, is, there are bands popping up everywhere. Uh, there's visual artists popping up everywhere, and it, it's a really exciting time to be in Springfield. I think. Yeah, but I mean, going back to um, kind of starting um, in Springfield, how did you how did you find the folks that you started the non-committals with? Like, how, what was that journey? How did you, did you just like jump in? and be like, I play guitar. Does anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> so when I came down here, I started working at a Hilton hotel and there I met this guy named Joe, who was a, a bellman at the time. And he was, he still is just super intelligent, very well read, very well rounded. And he turned me on to, you know, we go outside on smoke breaks and we'd be talking about music, you know, cause it's just what you do. And so he, uh, he would turn me on to things like the velvet underground. And, oh, wow. Awesome. Uh, guy. That's you know, so you know, yeah. Pavement and stuff like that. Like, and come to find out Joe, Joe was a really good lyricist. Like, you know, cause I'm ter- I'm not a good lyricist, but Joe really was. I was like, Oh my God. And so we just got together. I think it just kind of slowly happened organically. Frankly, it happened out of boredom because there's nothing else to do except drink, you know, at the time, at the time I'm saying. And so we would get together and downstairs in my basement, I have like 35 or 40 
90 minute tapes of us playing and there's i'm sure a lot of it's crap but i one of these days i'll go through that i mean i don't really look backwards very often but one of these days i'm gonna sit down and go through that stuff and digitize it and i don't know figure out what to do with it because i'm sure there's some gems in there but that kind of so then joe was going to move to <clears throat> we played some shows and then joe was going to move to chicago so that ended that but then the drummer and i ben we enjoyed playing with each other so we figured well let's forge on and chris uh the chris we talked about a little while ago he wasn't doing anything. We're like, why don't you come play bass? Chris is like, I don't know how to play bass. We're like, so what? Just come play bass anyway. So Chris figured it out. Yeah, actually, I I didn't even know that. I didn't know that he learned bass to play in your band. Like, wow. I I have. I really wish I would have known that because I have so much more respect for him now. Because that is <laughs> actually kind of amazing. Wow. Oh, I. Chris, Chris, if you're listening, I am so sorry. I was like a fucking bitch. <laughs> because that is really neat. So Chris had never played bass. To, I, no, I'm sure. I was going to say, well, let me think here. But no, I'm certain he had never played bass. We're like, ah, but he was fun to hang around and stuff. It's like, And he wasn't doing anything anyway. And frankly, we needed another person. So Chris came on board. Uh so Ben played drums and uh, Ben was okay as a drummer, but I mean, I want to point out that he would get better as time went on. He got better by leaps and bounds. Like by the time we ended our playing together, he was doing really well. But at the beginning, at the beginning, you know, Ben was just as ramshackle as Chris and I and Chris, you know, and so, but we made it work. We started coming up with songs. Um, and, I think we had started playing, right? And then you, no, I don't, no, we had started, I think we had gotten together a couple times and then you joined. Right. right? So you guys, I think you, you had just been doing practices and I had just started dating Ben and somehow maybe in one of your practices, Ben had revealed to you that I had played guitar before and, but I didn't have a guitar at the time because I actually hadn't had my guitar since I left my um, classical guitar that I said I, I played before that uh, in another episode I've, I've told my listeners was named Annie. And I, I actually left that guitar in a train station in Paris because um, I was late for a train and running hysterically through uh, this train station with this huge pack on my back filled with <laughs> textbooks and this backpack in front of me filled with CDs and cassettes. And then I had this huge guitar case and I just looked at my guitar and went, I got to sacrifice you. I can't sacrifice the music and the books because I was on my way to study abroad for my first year in, um, in Montpellier. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And so that was 1998. And I literally hadn't picked up a guitar and, oh, okay. So that doesn't sound like a lot of years, but in, in, in my life, it felt like that was decades ago, but this was only 2002 that you came <laughs> and approached me and was like, Hey, do you think you want to play guitar? I heard you play guitar. And I was like, 
dude, I'm like, <laughs> and remember, I was like, I played the Eagles and Mazzy Star, and the songs that I wrote were like <laughs> te- more more terrible than yours. And, but um, I was game because I'm just kind of one of those people that is like, fuck it, I'll try anything once, like. Yeah. And and Ben's dad gave me his PV wooden, like this really pretty um, blonde wooden guitar that was a famous 70s guitarist. I want to say he was like in, um, what was that band that uh, Steve Winwood was in? Is it Pretty Boy Floyd? Oh, no. Was he in... Um... Steve Winwood, I don't know, isn't that like Traffic or something like that? Traffic, I meant Traffic, yeah. So it was either like a guitarist from that band's guitar, I don't know, but there was something special about it. Um, but and and so and and I don't know, you you loaned me an amp, and then we were was that your basement or was that at the space at the you know the sort of anarchist collective green party I think we, so i think we practiced at my house a few times and then we moved over to the space which was the yeah well just how you how you described it it was kind of a an open house concept that artists at first, and politically at first no one lived there it was just this guy rented it and we and it was just we, a meeting place right yeah it was just a right. meeting place yeah and then we started having shows in the garage and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was so actually that's how I met you was the non-committals had played in a show in the garage. And that's how I met all of you because I was there to support Ben. Um, and that was just such a what a neat little gem of culture to move from New York City to Springfield, Illinois, of all places, that I ended up there because of a friend from college. And um, and then to just find this group of people who were against the war in Iraq, pissed off as fuck at Bush and Dick Cheney and um, and how things were sort of unfolding and um, and and just were really about like anti-corporate America and and just punk roots. And oh, my God, like I I. I'm, I'm, I know I've told you this before, but it was so rad to meet you and to be asked to be in a band and then to to just sort of the chaos and fun that ensued in the two years that we that we played never, never out of town except for Kankiki and that music festival that we did. Do you remember that? Yes. Not music festival. It was the Battle of the Bands. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I believe it was the second show we ever played. <laughs> yeah, like when were we in the battle of the bands? <laughs> like you, were so, you were so crazy. You were like, guys, I booked us a gig. And you were like, we're a week old, Jason. And you and but you were so you were so much fun oh, because man. we're gonna do this. Like, let's fucking do this. And oh, you know what I do remember though is um so if we go back to the the show at the gay bar where we were actually um so they, they had uh male strip strippers, right? Yeah. And then so they'd be like the male strippers, and then we'd play male strippers, and then we'd play again, and then male strippers again. Yep. And, uh I remember we played um God, we played like the germs. 
and we played the Jim Carroll song. We I only did a couple originals, right? I, right. I'm trying to think what else we did. But um, yeah, and I had a blast, and I'm sure we sounded like absolute shit. Oh my god, but, it was such. And it I mean, seemed that's... like everyone else had a blast too. All the, yeah. the people that were in the bar seemed like they all had a blast too. So that was great. I was like, this is fun. So there were no bands doing that in Springfield, to my knowledge. You no. know, we we play anywhere, and we didn't care. You know, you know the Gungadens. I'm really appreciative of. Um, a band like the Gungadens and, you know, Chris Yeager, uh, because, you know, he said, hey, why don't you come play with us? And, you know, the people who would go see the Gungadens, and the Gungadens were, you know, they were they were a ferocious live band. They really were. And the people, right, but the people who went to see the Gungadens, they wanted to see the Gungadens and nobody else. And so I remember... I remember the first time we played a show with the Gungadens and we got through our first song. Nobody clapped. Nobody did anything. You could hear a pin drop. And I look back at Ben, who's sitting behind the drums, and we just kind of had this moment where we're like, oh, fuck, we've got 10 songs to go. (laughs) (laughs) And it ended up being okay. It ended up being all right. And people slowly kind of came around. And, but I'm appreciative of, of them. And, um, uh, like Jeff and Bruce from Annihilate for, uh, and for those who don't know, like Annihilate was like, and they still are kind of like the premier large, well-known band from Springfield, you know, and, um, you know, they, you know, they have a choice of who they can have open for them. And, um, a lot of bands are trying to open up for an Annihilate show, especially years ago. And he said, yeah, come open up for us, come play a show with us. And, that was great. And so I'm That was like I, one of the biggest honors. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Gungadins, uh, Annihilate, like just and you know, all, and just everyone, like Sam and his band, um, who we ended up playing these small shows with in coffee in um coffee houses like Andiamo and Bread Stretchers. And one thing that uh I just I just always appreciated about you, Jason, was you, your desire to bring bands to town and make sure that it was accessible all ages. Um, what, why, what was that? What, what was that desire? Why did, why were you into that? I think a lot of it, um, you know, growing up, like there were a lot of shows that I couldn't go to, um, either due to, uh, lack of money or um, I wasn't old enough to get into places in sh- a lot of places in Chicago. And um, I figured, you know, Hey, if let's try to get some of these people to come to Springfield, if nobody shows up, we can at least, you know, we can at least sleep all at night knowing that we tried. And I was fine with that. And I remember um, when we brought the mountain goats, uh, this is before, you know, the mountain goats are, you know, they're pretty big now. They, and, were, but, just, they were just on Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Like, yeah. Last, and, last week. Like what? And yeah. But at the time, at the time, um, in 2002, when he first, when John Darniel first came to Springfield, like he played in a little garage in front of, I don't oh, know. If, no, no, no. It was in the living room. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He played in the living Everyone else played out in the garage. 
He played in the living room. That's right. You're right. And it's just him and his acoustic guitar. <laughs> it's just him and his acoustic guitar. And that was the one of two times the Mountain Goats came. And um, yeah, it was them, um, Ian Mackay um, from Fugazi. Like uh, he and Amy Farina had a band called The Evens. Um, this, is just, af- this is after my time. Before yeah, yeah. before we go that way though, like you also brought Jughead from um, even in Blackouts, who used to be in a band that you were really into. Oh, Screeching Weasel! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also were able to bring his bandmate from that band, and that was uh, Squirt Gun. Yes, yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. It was fun because. These are bands like Screeching Weasel is a band that I grew up with in Chicago. Um, when I first started going to shows, go to going to shows down in Chicago, um, Screeching Weasel was one of the first bands that I saw, and uh, I still love them to this day. And um, John um, has become a friend, and we realized that we have the exact same birthday, except he's like five years older than me, but. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you need to have him on is what you need to do. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But so you also um, somehow through MySpace and the internet and doing all that stuff. And again, we're talking 2002, 2003. Um, so it's not like the the internet that we have today. I mean, this is 20 years you know, ago. Um, you You were able to contact... Howard Zinn. How did that, how did that come into fruition and how did you decide that you were going to approach him? So, um, I had been asked, I'm trying to think of the name of the publication. I don't know if it was Clamor magazine. They were kind of a far left magazine. I think they're out of Ohio or something. So I basically get this cold call from this guy from the magazine, he said, Hey, do you want to interview Howard Zinn? I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah, I do. And, uh, we, uh, I was told that I had to have like 30 minutes of this time and we stayed on the phone for two hours. And so we're talking about history. We're talking about, uh, what was happening in the world. And then we, we, um, agreed to keep in touch. And at the time I was thinking I was, I was considering um, a master's degree in history. And I so I reached out to Yeah, so I reached out to him, and we had a bunch of back and forth, and I still have those emails, too. And I had come across, in the meantime, I had come across a copy of a split EP by uh, Bad Religion and Noam Chomsky. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. We should do something like this with Howard's in and see if he's game. And um, so I asked him, I said, Hey, um, what would you think about either us sifting through your speeches and uh, your talks and, you know, lifting some stuff out of there, or we could do it. You could do a spoken word thing. That's brand new. And we really tried to make that work. And, and he was game for that. Um, really generous with this time. And I think we had to wait around because, you know, after a speech, you know, after his talk, you know, everybody's wanting an autograph or a photo. We missed, 
he missed the talk. Yeah, we didn't get there till the very end. Like he was just wrapping up. Like, <clears throat> but um, we were trying to figure out, and Ben and I were Ben and I had talked. Like, we'll just put this out ourselves, and um, on whatever CDRs or whatever we're gonna do, just do something homemade. And then I reached out to a record label in Chicago, and they were down with it. So. They ended up putting it out, and it's great. It was it was it was, it was a it was a fun experience. Um, well, yeah, because we got to go into the studio and record show Tori, and like um, that boy, that really was just a, a really neat experience. But I, I guess I just want to say, um, listeners, as usual, check the links in the uh, show notes um, because I'm going to definitely uh, link who Howard Zinn is. We don't really have time at this point to, to really peel back the layers, but um, I think I've talked about it in other episodes, but just highly recommend looking him up. He was just a really, a neat, a really neat person. But at this point, we've come to the end of the podcast and the part where I'm going to do some rapid fire questions and throw them at you. And you, and uh, you're going to, Give me some rapid answers quickly back. Are you ready? Uh, let's do this. All right. So what is your favorite memory from childhood? My favorite memory from childhood is going to a place called Farrell's Ice Cream Store, which is in Pomona, California. Oh, okay. And um, what is your favorite 80s band or musician? Prince, hands down. Runaway oh. Prince, easily. <laughs> Uh, what about your favorite 80s film? Uh, you know what? I don't think I have one. I, I, I'm not really, I don't really watch a whole lot of movies from that era. Um, I don't think and, I have an answer to that. And you, and you grew up in such a conservative home. Were you even allowed yeah. to watch movies? No, we were not allowed to watch television, believe it or not. Whoa! Okay. So the yeah, so the only television we were able to watch was like sixty minutes in the nightly news with my father. Oh my god, Jason. Yeah, no joke. No, <laughs> no, no joke. No joke. An occasional episode of that show Dallas. You remember that show? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. 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 You watch Dallas. That's a pretty for those days. Uh, <laughs> that was my parents branching out. So. Good grief. Um, okay. Yeah. Why did you go to college? I went to college because I knew that what I picked up from my parents was just one side and I felt it important to have a, I figured college would offer me a, a wider view of the universe, frankly. Awesome. And, yeah. um, what was your favorite band when you were a teen? Uh, screeching weasel and the Ramones. Awesome. And Jason, finally, um, if you could give a bit of advice to anyone in any generation, either to get through the dark times or just life advice in general, what would that be? Um, I would say follow your your heart, follow your instincts. Um, that has gotten me through countless hard times uh, in my youth. Um, there was a lot of abuse in our house. Um, a lot of dark, you know, it's a dark cloud in our, in our, um, childhood home. And, um, I just, you know, I, 
I kept thinking, you know, hey, there, there is, there are brighter days to come. And I still think that if I'm having a bad day and I don't let it get to me and I just go with my gut and follow my heart as best I can, I think that would serve anyone well. I think you're right. Jason, thank you so much for taking time out to do this with me today. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. It's always a blast talking to you. We may have to have a part two down the road. Oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. Mm